0: Um, Matthew chapter 2 is where we're at, and uh, it, is, it is Advent, and it is the most wonderful busy time of the year, amen? Oh my word, good grief, right? I mean, you cannot get any busier. I am packed. We had like four concerts last week, My uh, kids are sick, people are throwing up everywhere. I'm done. Are you guys done? Let's just have Christmas, let's get this thing over with, right? And the worst part is Tuesday, my kids are coming back from school, I don't know what I'm going to do with them, right? I feel like my wisdom is flying out the window, and that's what we're talking about today is wisdom. So I'm going to preach to myself just as much as I'm preaching to you. Um, But the Bible is filled with so many examples of wisdom, and I'm sure as you were opening your Bible to Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, it says right on the top, the visit of the wise men. And the Bible's filled with wise men. In the Old Testament, for example, you have people like Enoch who walk with God and he was no longer a wise man. You have Noah who builds an ark to the Lord. You have Ruth who really paves the way for Jesus in his lineage. You have King David whose son Solomon, also both wise. New Testament, you have Martha and you have Mary and you have all the disciples that follow Jesus. And the thing that really resonates when we study God's word in this beautiful text that's in Matthew chapter 2 is wise men come to seek the Lord. And I'm really praying that that was you this morning. That's why you're here at Community Gospel Church is that you are striving to seek the Lord and to follow him and asking yourself, how should I live this life that God has given to me? I was driving the other day and in the farm field there was a sign and it said wise men still seek him. And as I saw that sign, I wondered to myself, do they? Do they still seek the Lord? Do we still seek the truth? And then the answer to that question is no. We do not seek the Lord. He sought us. We were far from God. We ran away from God. We do it every single season in the hustle and bustle. We want to keep Christ at the center, but in reality, we run away from the baby in the manger. And yet God loves us, and he has compassion for us, and he says to us that I will come since you have wandered like sheep to you, and I will show you the things that you need to see, and I'll show you the light of life. And in John chapter 1, it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and it talks about how he is the light, and we're going to talk about that next week at Christmas. But since Jesus comes and he seeks us, we meet with him and then we respond back to him. And we realize that in our relationship with God through faith and trust in Christ, that is where all wisdom is found. That's exactly what the wise men are going to see here in Matthew chapter two. So today we're all about obtaining godly wisdom, asking God, how should I live my life in this season that's entrusted to my care? Matthew chapter two, verse one. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star. We saw it when it rose and have come to worship him. The first way that we become wise in anything, in any of our endeavors, whether it's this season, next year, whatever the case is, is we have to approach the Lord in confidence, knowing full well that he has our best intention in mind. Now let's look at verse 1. It is not known how much time has transpired after Jesus was born. Scholars disagree on this, of what the timing of the arrival of the wise men or magi from the east was. If you compare Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 with Matthew chapter 2, verse 7, as well as verse 16, it suggests there's about two years after the birth of Jesus Christ has transpired, which would mean Jesus and Mary and Joseph are still in Bethlehem, which is called the house of bread of Judea, which is the scene if you connect New Testament to Old Testament of Ruth's life with Boaz in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. It's also David's home, who was born an anointed king by Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 17. It's rich with history and lineage for a reason and a purpose. Bethlehem came to be called the city of David. So Jesus, who was born in the house of bread, calls himself in John chapter 6, verse 30, 35, The bread of life, true manna from heaven, one who can be approached. To receive the fullness of life and what it means to be alive. So Joseph and Mary went to Bethlehem from Nazareth because it was their original family home. And they needed to register for tax purposes there. And all good politicians say amen. Silence. And if they've been here for two years, we know that they're probably out of the stable. And it's not a stable. They're probably out of the hitching posts, if you will. And they're into a house. So that's where Mary and Joseph are at. But what's the climate of the political realm that's transpiring? Well, if you look at that verse, we see Herod, or Herod the Great, is the current leader. And he is, ready for this? I know this is going to throw a lot of you guys off. He's paranoid, cruel, and ruthless. Fitting of a politician. <clears throat> By the way, I have political friends, so not all of them are like that. But regardless, it's, it's bad. And Mary and Joseph are told constantly not to fear. So wise men, second part of verse 1, from the east come. Wise men are also known as magi. Now, I know that you have in your mind the magi are three, but that's not necessarily the case. There could have been multiple magi that approached uh, the Lord. Magi means many. And from the Persian word magus, which means great or great and powerful men. So there's many great and powerful men. Now, here's my question. Why does the nativity scene have the magi with them at Jesus' birth? That's heresy. But it sells lots and lots of nativity scenes. So, you got to have three more pieces, right, to it. So, what we do is we put the Magi in the living room and the Nativity set goes in another room. And then two years later, we bring them. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) If your Christmas decor is out for two years, you got bigger issues. So in the plural form here, magi refers to a high priestly class, ready this, of Persians or Babylonians or Medes who are also called wise men. Now, look at verse, the last part of verse 1 and into verse 2. Magi came from the east or Persia, which is modern-day Iran. This means it would have taken a long time to get there. We're talking eight to 900 miles to see Jesus. Now here's been my question for years. Why did they go to see Jesus? Well, they know all as Persians the prophetical writing from Daniel chapter 9 verse 24 to 27. Daniel, if you remember, had been the chief of the court of seers in Persia. Balaam also in the Old Testament, who was from the town of Pethor on the Euphrates River near Persia in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, had a prophecy that specifically mentioned a star coming out of Jacob. So the wise men were guided to look for the king of Jews by a miraculous stellar event, which I think is fascinating. They call his star. I believe with all my heart, they believed before they even got to Jesus. He is the Christ. It is his star. From here on out, it will be called the star, which shows where people stand in relationship to Christ being the Messiah. And really, that's all we know about this star. There's no biblical evidence that says the star was like in the sky, right? It wasn't on top of um, where they keep all the feed in Wyatt with that star. That's not like what it looked like. <laughs> Who knows? We just know there was a star, and it was. Now look at the second part of verse 2. Notice how the Magi approached the Lord. This is a wise model to follow. These men read and believed God's word. These men then, after reading God's word, went to find out if God's word was true. Which, by the way, the Bible loves when you do that. Then they recognized, after seeing Christ, the worth of Christ, humbled themselves to worship Jesus, and then obeyed the Lord. Americans are really good at the first four. This is what wise men do. This is how they approach the Lord. Wise women, wise men approach the Lord. Now, watch in verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Understatement. And all of Jerusalem with him. And so what he does is he assembles all the chief priests and all the scribes of the people, and he inquires of them where Christ was to be born. So that shows us that Herod cares little about learning. Five. They told him he's in Bethlehem of Judea. For it is written, by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from whom you shall come, a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Verse 7. So Herod summons the wise men secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, go, and search diligently for the child, and then when... You have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. One person in the text has pure motives, one person not so much. And what we're learning here is we have to approach the Lord to truly be wise with pure motives. In verse 3, it's no surprise that Harold was troubled after hearing the Magi came to Jerusalem looking for a born king. If you want to, you can circle the word troubled there. It's really interesting. It means like shaking, like boiled water. It is the same word that is used as Belteshazzar after seeing the writing on the wall in Daniel chapter 5, verse 5. Herod wasn't only troubled. If you notice in the text, it says all Jerusalem was troubled with him, which is really a hyperbole. Because the majority of the unholy population in a holy city wasn't living holy lives. And so Herod knows he is not the rightful king from the line of David. He wasn't even a descendant of Jacob. He's a descendant of Esau, who's an Edomite, which caused most Jews to hate him and never accept him as the true king. Even though he did a lot for the country, it didn't matter. He didn't come from the right line. You got there in a wrong way. And so Herod's job is in jeopardy. So Herod assembles all the chief priests, ready for this, all the scribes of the people, which is the temple hierarchy, the high priest, all of his associates were mostly Sadducees, bringing all of these honored religious leaders to give some spiritual advice. Now, if you are a a Sadducee or a Pharisee at that time, you would have thought, wow, he is bringing us in. He's going to have conversations with us. But something tragic is happening here. Because the Sadducees and the Pharisees, while well, most scribes are Pharisees, did not get along. And so what's happening here is an exceptional case of the enemy of another person's enemy means an alliance is formed. Which I believe with all of my heart, this sets up the reason why Jesus was crucified. Because there's a common enemy among these two individuals. Now watch this. Herod asks two questions, which is interesting. First question he asks, where is Christ to be born? In verse 4. Herod inquired of them where Christ was to be born. Which is interesting, because Herod connects the one born, the king of the Jews, with Christ, who is the Messiah. Not one person, Herod summoned went back to the scriptural scrolls. That's sad. They knew the answer by heart. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But the religious leaders knew the answers, but failed to communicate or even believe that they were true. It's like going to your pastor for advice, and he knows what to tell you based off God's word, but he doesn't give it to you. Find a new pastor. So what's happening here is, They fail to teach, they fail to give the facts, and they fail to go to Bethlehem. J.C. Ryle says it like this, he says, let all of us here today beware of resting satisfied with the head knowledge we have, specifically of the Christmas story. Secular people in our society know the Advent story somewhat better than we do. They could probably recite it just like we could. It is an excellent thing when rightly used, this head knowledge that we have. But a man may have much of it, and yet he will still perish everlasting. Even the demons in the pits of hell believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for the sins of those who would come to know him as Savior. They know that Christ's death was sufficient for the whole entire world, but it was only efficient for those who would believe. And if they had a head knowledge of it, what is the difference between the demons in hell and us? We have accepted this gift of Christ the Messiah into our hearts, and it has radically transformed our behavior because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So Ryle's asking, what is the state of your heart? You may have all the head knowledge in the world, but if it doesn't connect to your heart and it doesn't put any feet in your everyday life, then what is the point? A little grace is better than many gifts. Gifts alone save no one, but grace leads on to glory. And that's why we sing as a church, grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all of our sins. So Herod inquires in an impure motive. Where is Christ to be born? Then he's asked the second question. What time did the star appear? This is verse 7. Let's give a little bit more information. What time is it? He's kind of asking, what happens next? What does this, what, what, what happens now? And if you notice in that verse, he doesn't do it in a public way, but he does it secretly, which means sinister deception. This is critical later in Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. We see Herod contemplating a plan to get rid of Christ. And so he instructs the Magi to return and tell the location of Jesus so he might come and worship him. And all of the little kids say, liar, liar, pants on fire. Right? If that little statement from all of our kids were true, Herod's pants would be torched. I don't even think he wore pants, just FYI. But look at this, Herod is the father, Herod is of his father, the devil, whom Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 44, you don't have to go there. Let me read this to you. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks, he lies. He speaks from his own nature, for he's a liar and the father of lies. Herod is like father, like son. He's murdering innocent children to murder Christ. And just as Satan had tried to keep Christ from being born, now he tries to destroy him after he was born, and it won't end. So the motive is everything. So for us who are gathered here today, especially as we're looking at the Advent season, we would ask ourselves, why do I seek the Lord? Do I seek the Lord simply for my own favor, or do I seek the Lord solely to worship him for who he is, what he's done, and what he will do? It is for ourselves that we're approaching the Lord, or we find ourselves in simple adoration of all that God has done. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Verse 9, and after listening to the king, they went on their way. Now look at this. Behold, the star that they had seen where it rose before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I got the joy, 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 joy down in the depths of my... Okay, that was totally in... I bet that's what they sang. Mm -hmm. Yep. Verse 11. And going into the house... They saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fall down and they worship him. This is every mother's nightmare. I didn't even clean the house. Every, there's toys everywhere and all of a sudden you barge in the door and just worship my baby, right? What is happening? And they opened up their treasures. Oh, they have gifts, so it must be okay. Yeah, absolutely. What you got? They offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let's talk about this adoration. Look at this. Godly wisdom, the wise people, approach the Lord with pure motives and adore him as Savior and Lord. Look at verse 9. The magi go on their way to the place where the child was following the star in the east. And so we believe here that they are led by God to the location of the star. Now, there is a great rejoicing in verse 10. Matthew could have said they rejoiced and we would have gotten the point. But instead, look at this verse. He says, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Let me break down that sentence for you, okay? The word rejoiced is the word Karyo, which means to enjoy a state of gladness or be delighted. It's when you um, eat your favorite uh, food at Thanksgiving and you go, "Mm." mmm. By the way, the older you get, the more that groan gets like emotional, right? Like, mmm, so good. Oh, man. All right. So that's what that's what that word means. They rejoiced exceedingly. Now, that word means extreme, like they took it to the extreme. And then you have great, which is megas, which is out of an ordinary in degree magnitude or effect. So, like, this is, is, like, going up a notch. That escalated quickly. And then joy, if you want to circle that, that's kind of an interesting word. That is kara, which is the feeling of great pleasure or inner gladness. It it went from their eyes to their bones is what happened. It it went from like what they knew to be true to like like feeling like this this amazing feeling of inner gladness. You put it all together, it's almost as if they couldn't experience a greater degree of joy. Commentator uh, Chapniss says... We who look for Jesus ought to be joyful. It's of no credit to our Lord when we look as though we were seeing his grave, which is how a lot of believers approach the Lord. They go looking for a dead man. The dull look of Christ's followers have injured him in the sight of the world. Let us then smile as we go on, for we have the star if we will look up and put ourselves in the right path. It's joyful. There, there's so many people just don't look happy this year. And the reason is because happiness is worldly, but joy is from the Lord. We have the joy in our bones. And what it happens is it moves us, verse 11, to the act of worship. The wise men were led to Christ. After going in, they worshiped him. They throw themselves at the ground as a sign of devotions. I, I just can't imagine this as a mother, Right? Like, you're just having a normal day. Jesus is playing. They're getting along. Everything's going well. And all of a sudden, boom! Magi. And if it's not three and if it's many, we're talking like a church potluck's about to erupt in your living room. And here they worship him. They fall to the ground. They acknowledge infant Jesus. He's high. They're low. Now, also note... They worshipped him. They never touched Mary. Mary is not worshipped. If Mary has any differential between us, then they would have worshipped her too. She is just like us. And so here, their worship is of the Lord. They don't worship anything but Christ, this infant Savior. And how do they do it? They give gifts. Well, commentators say these gifts are full of symbolism. I think this is really interesting. The gold is a symbol of royalty and kingship. I think what's happening here is they're telling the story of Christ in symbolic imagery. When you see gold here given to Jesus, they're saying Jesus is the king, which is really amazing because remember, Herod is supposedly the king or these other leaders that are around, kind of like what we learned about Luke a couple weeks ago. Then frankincense is a symbol of deity. Frankincense was part of a special scent that was burned on the altar of incense in the Old Testament within the holy place. And when the smoke entered God's presence in the holiest of holies, frankincense stresses that Jesus is God. And he will be God always. He will never be. He has never stopped ceasing to be God. He never will stop ceasing to be God. And his whole life will be an example that he is God. And then myrrh is the bookend. Because myrrh in the Old Testament is associated with death and embalming. It is there we see that he will die. It is almost as if these magi know what we don't in the giving of the gifts. Now... There's a great song called We Three Kings, which really isn't biblically accurate. I hate to burst your bubble, right? But it's really not. But the last line of the song is when it says God and king and sacrifice. That's the three gifts. The life of Jesus. These gifts were also used by Joseph as he takes his family to Egypt and sustains them until Herod dies. So what's the point? If by faith you know Christ is Savior then the most wonderful thing that you can do this Christmas is to present to God the one gift that he desires to receive from you the most, your body, your all. Paul will later write to us in the beautiful book of Romans. And in Romans chapter 12, you don't have to go there, but it connects so beautifully. He specifically says, I appeal to you, therefore, my brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, which is what the Magi did. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That is by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what his good is. An acceptable, and perfect will is. Our bodies are used for God's purposes. And because we have accepted the gift of salvation from Him, it's only reasonable that we should present ourselves to God the Father. See, we constantly think about giving gifts this season, but we fail to remember the best gift we can give back to God is the gift of ourselves. Now look at verse 12 the Magi heard supernatural warning and took a divinely directed detour. Once again, we see God's sovereign hand orchestrating the events in men's lives to assure that his will is accomplished. I wonder if we're wise as the Magi. I wonder if we approach the Lord first and foremost. Secondly, I wonder what our motives are. Think about that, pray about that this week. And I wonder how we're doing in the adoration of God, our Savior, Christ. Because here's how this really works out into today and applications. Many times, God gives us, when we approach him as the wise men, clear warnings to steer clear of some place or some person or something. And we, like sheep, go astray. We're like stubborn mules, Who just go headlong into that place or person or thing. And God says, I want you to take a detour. And maybe, just maybe, in all of the things that are going on this season, God wants you to take a detour away from the world and enter into worship of Christ. We also strive to go to the places which adore Christ as Savior and Lord. What are the places that you populate that adore Christ as Savior and Lord? And as you think about that for the next year, what are the places in which you will populate which adore Christ as Savior and Lord? If there is a place that you do not populate that does not adore Christ as Savior as Lord, be cautious. Because Christ is Emmanuel, God with us. And because of his work, we can approach the Lord with faith and confidence, with pure motives to adore him as Savior and Lord, knowing that he has our best in mind. It is not a plan to hurt you. It is a plan for your good to help you. Because he's always with us. We worship him in our hearts every day, trusting that he will show himself faithful now and in the years to come. And just as the Magi sought him, may you seek him and worship him and adore him in all you think, say, and do. Heavenly Father, we praise you this morning as we have for 50 plus weeks this past year. We love you. We adore you but our adoration sometimes falls short as we leave this place and we start to think about all the things that we have going on and all the things that we have to do. So help us, Lord, today to realize the importance and value of approaching you daily. That as we wake up in the morning, we would approach you through the reading of your word and through the time spent in prayer. God, we ask today that our motives would be pure. And we ask for your forgiveness for the times in which our motives haven't been pure. We ask that you would restore unto us the joy of our salvation. Help us to be excited over the fact that we have been saved by the blood of the Lamb. And if there's anybody who is here today who doesn't know Christ as Savior and Lord, make today the day of your salvation. Trust Christ, Confess your sins. Believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Enter into the best relationship that you could ever enter into. The most fulfilling relationship that you could ever have. And for those of us who know you, Lord, as Savior, we ask that our motives always be pure. And that would push us into constant adoration in our workplaces, in our homes, as we raise our kids as we care for our family who's getting older, as we care for the people who are in our path, no matter where we're at, that we would radiate the love of Christ in both words and in actions. That we would understand the importance of not only showing Christ, but declaring Christ as well. For the day is approaching, God. We know it. It's coming soon. And just as The wise men, the magi anticipated that you would come so we too know because of what your word teaches that you will come again. And so may we count our days and live accordingly, trusting that you know what is best for us, conforming more to the image of Christ in all we think, say, and do. And all God's people said, amen.